Yeah, I started off with a question about uh, whether anybody had been watching the Olympics. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I've just found it completely absorbing. And uh, there, there have just been so many different bits of it that have been like standout things for me. But um, that, let me just ask you, just, just shout it out. Have there been any particular like, standout moments for you as you've been watching the Olympics over the last, yeah? Well, wasn't that great? Wasn't that fantastic? Nicola Adams, yeah. <laughs> and she's a Leeds girl as well, isn't she? In fact, wasn't there a point halfway through the uh, last two weeks when Yorkshire got more medals than Germany? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Laura, what, what about you? When Circus Hoy got his sixth medal, gold medal, yeah. I think that that's really, really inspired me to do really well. So. Yeah. Yeah. How old is he? 36 or something yeah. like that. Sophia? When Farrah won the uh, running. Yeah. Yeah. And how many times did he win it? Twice. You had a bit of help on that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch all of it. You didn't? Uh, um, I think it was the kayaking. I can't remember the bloke's name. It's just gone from me for a minute. The British guy. Um, yeah. Just the determination and the, the pace that he set. He just, you know, focused. And I think that's what spoke to me. Uh, can any of you kind of connect with these things? Have you seen them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Laura, Laura Chop for me. Because... When she was born, she had a punctured lung and asthma, and she's gone on to win two gold medals in cycling. Was there one back here somewhere, Emily? Um, when Jess Ennis was doing the 800 metres, she didn't have to cross the finish line first, but the determination, she came from... I think being fourth in the last in the last 200 metres, and the the jubilation and the elation as she crossed the finish line was incredible. Yeah, that was. Fun. Did you did you see Jess Ennis? And did you watch that? I thought she was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Standout moment, Jackie. I think for me it was David Rudisha, the guy from Kenya. The fact the fact that he ran so fast and the guys that were competing also ran in their best times that was amazing. What was it, a world record for the 800? Yeah, and he just ran from the front, didn't he? Just went straight off the front. Anybody else? Mel, you had one, didn't you? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I just want to reinforce what uh, she has said about David Rudisha. Uh, what amazes me most about the guy is that despite breaking all these world records, he's very humble, very calm, and uh, I think this is something that is worth... Uh, uh, emulatable or something like that, yeah. Isn't that true? These, these guys and girls, have, they've shown so much character. Yeah. And just listening to them on the interview, it's almost like they're surprised. You know, what, me? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Mel? I, I think that sums it up. That In general, right across the board, with the possible exception of one big fella, there was a tremendous humility on the part of the winners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, for me, 
Rhodesia stood out in that respect. Um, they had a right to crow about themselves so much. And yet what came through, like with our little leaves last week, was just that joy that she could do it. Yeah, you know, of people whose circumstances would have put down, and yeah. people would have been put out, but who by making a choice, making choices daily, she could come through and she could be a supreme. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a little message there somewhere. <laughs> Started now. I think um, it's the effect that the people that are winning the medals can have on the actual local community, like the Browning Brothers live in Bramhope. Hey. So, and we know they come to the school, so the effect that's going to have on children and people around the area. And, and what it does, everybody's talking about the same things. And it's, you know, it's the unity that's becoming round in Taylor's. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, she's on, a, she's on her fifth lap, I think. Chris. I mean, what struck me was yesterday when Tom Daly got his bronze and he was leading up to the last dive and yet he loved the fact that he'd won the bronze so much that he had a big broad grin on his and the Chinese guy next to him was like so sad that he'd got a silver and you think to yourself the contrast he was expected to win a medal and probably everybody expect, you know, thought oh gold for Tom Daly but yet when he did just win a bronze he was so happy for it and the thing is, when we win some things, when we do good things, it doesn't have to be the best, but it has to be our best. There's so, like Mel said, there's so many things that you can just kind of draw out of this from life, isn't there? Um, I want to get you to do something. Just, um, yeah, there's enough of you each around the table. I want you just to spend a little bit of time talking together uh, about what makes a champion. Okay? What makes a champion? Just talk about it together. and I mean, you may want to write a few things down because I want you to shout out in a short while and I'm going to stick it up on the, the chart here. Okay? What makes a champion? And just bear in mind what, um, what Chris said a moment ago. Um, Tom Daly was so thrilled about the fact that he actually... A, he'd participated, after all that he'd kind of come through, you know, with the death of his dad and everything else. And he was so happy, wasn't he, about that bronze medal. Um, so it isn't necessarily the people who get the gold. More time or uh, can we pull this thing together? Yeah? You're just chatting now, aren't you, you guys over here? All right, I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, We'll go around each of the tables, but I just want you to shout out one thing from each table. And I know you've got a list. Um, but obviously there's going to be some repeats going on. And then if, when it comes back to you, if you've not heard anything else from anywhere in the room that's got something on your list, shout that out. Okay. I'm going to start. Where shall I start? I know. Let's have... Uh, the naughty table at the back. What makes a champion? Come on, Susan. Enjoyment. 
and no fear. That's two, yeah. Now, that's not a trend to follow. Chris, Nick, Julie. Uh, girls, what about, oh, and guys. Did you have anything? You don't have to be a winner to be a champion. That is a very important point, which I'll come back to in a minute. Now then, this table over here. So this, is, this could be your, your support team, it could be your... In fact, wasn't Sarah doing something last week about the backup team? Is that right? And um, somewhere in there you're going to have people who are rooting for you. Great. What about this crowd here? Humility. Wow. Okay. Yeah, as somebody already mentioned, maybe one outstanding example that doesn't necessarily have a great deal of humility, but there we'll move on. What about this table here? Committed. Okay. Unstable. Belief. Wonderful. Yeah. These are not in any order. I'm just putting on where there's some space. Right. Molly, Rizon, Passion. Great. Yes. Uh, table at the back. Yes. You, Susan. Ignore negatives. Very good. Sometimes that's about ignoring the negatives in yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, where next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're avoiding anything that's not going to help you achieve your goal, aren't you? Yeah. I'll put, putting aside, I think that was the kind of idea, wasn't it, of things that may be good but which don't help you. Any more at the back there? Uh, Elsie, did you have any more? Perseverance. Excellent. Have we got that somewhere? But, oh, that kind of links to what Nick was saying, wasn't it? Severing yourself from other things. Yeah, very good. Right. Kate, what about your table? So having a sense of responsibility, which is more than just about yourself. Do you want to explain that a bit more? I, I think it's uh, more or less what she has said. As in when you're doing something, it's not just for you. But there are these people who make you the champion. So you have to have that sense of responsibility to make sure that uh, you meet the expectations and also in a positive way. Yeah. Right. I'll try. This is all condensed so I can get it on the sheet, but it's like that sense of responsibility towards others. Yeah? Ability. Yeah. Talent. Okay, thank you. That's great. Undefeated. Is that an attitude or is that... Yeah, so being a winner in your mind, yeah? Is that right? Oh, okay. Right. So, that, hey, that's good, isn't it? Did you hear that? It's about, I think, tell me if I've got this right, it's about coming back from defeat, yeah? So if you've had a knockdown, being able to come through it and come back again, that's really good. Excellent. Can I put that down as um, coming back from defeat? What about this table here? Elimination of mistakes. Right. Is that about learning from things that you did wrong in the past? Or is that, yeah? Yeah? Very good. Uh, Riz on your table. You got anything else there you want to throw in? Okay. Yeah, it kind of ties in with that responsibility thing in a way, doesn't it? But you, you're an advert for what you do. Yeah.
That's really good. I've got, I've got enough paper, Mel. <laughs> but let, let me just say what Mel, in case you didn't hear. Yeah, yeah. Mentally rehearsing the winning moves is what Mel said. There's been a lot, hasn't there? I don't know whether you've heard any of the interviews where they talk with the athletes um, about the whole kind of psychology of taking part. It's not just being physically good at what you do, but having a mental attitude, which a lot of this, so much of this stuff, all the stuff down, or a lot of the stuff down the left-hand side there, about perseverance, discipline, the visualisation thing, humility, being committed, having the attitude of being an advert, etc., etc., coming back from defeat. It's all to do with how you think, isn't it? Um, and then, <clears throat> let's see, some of those other things. Uh, having the belief that actually you can do this. That's really important, isn't it? Um, enjoyment, I like that one. Uh, not being afraid, because fear always boxes you in, doesn't it? Huh? Um, I like this one about not having to be a winner. At my boarding school when I was little, there was a kind of major prize day every year. Uh, at which all the bright kids got given even in sometimes one, two, three prizes and so on. And there was a major sports day every year. So whether you were good at your sums and your, your writing or whether you were a good sports person, you were likely to have a chance of winning at those events. But we all know there's some people who never quite make it in those areas, right? So instead of in the summer term, halfway through the year... They had another prize giving, and this was given as a prize for, here it comes, perseverance and assiduity. Now, that's not a word we hear very often anymore. Assiduity, somebody who is assiduous. And I always thought that was tremendous because there was a point partway through the year where people who'd been doing all of those things but were not likely to get top prize in discus or running and were not likely to be top in maths or history or whatever, were actually going to get rewarded because somebody had recognised their perseverance and their assiduity. The question was, what is assiduity? <laughs> Being assiduous, it's kind of a mix of the perseverance and the commitment. And it's somebody who just goes on and on and on and says, I am not going to give up. I am not going to listen to the negatives. It's a whole bunch of those things put in together, actually. It's, it's kind of, yeah, you don't hear it, I think, anymore. But I'm an old-fashioned girl. <laughs> just coming back to these, uh, these athletes and sports people that we've been watching over these last few weeks... Um, one of the things that's really come home to me is just, and it's a mix of a, so many of these things that you've thrown up on the board here, is how, first of all, um, how incredibly motivated they are by something they haven't yet attained to. You know, they, in other words, they've got this kind of compelling vision of something that they're after that keeps them, keeps them, keeps them going and and then when you think that that compelling vision is so strong that it, it means that they're prepared to put aside you know 
the bag of crisps and the... Like, was it Jessica Ennis who said this week, you know, what are you going to do next? She said, I'm going to have two glasses of champagne and a bag of crisps. <laughs> and I thought, good for you, kid, because what she was saying was, I haven't been able to touch that stuff for four years, you know. But what it's meant is that she's been, had to put aside all those kind of things that would stop her from achieving that goal. And you listen to, I always think about the rowers for some reason with this one. Out on the water at some ridiculous hour of the morning when it's cold, there's nobody there and you're just putting in the hours. And I think that, that commitment to say, this morning it's still worth getting up. It's still worth getting in that chuffing boat. It's still worth making my arms and my legs ache because I'm going for something that is still way, way, way out there. And, I, you know, it's really come home to me how much these people have sacrificed in order to achieve it. I mean, any one of those champions, like Victoria Pendleton, you know, the cyclist, you know, at the end of it all, she said, oh, I'm just so relieved. <laughs> I'm so relieved it's over, you know? But I just think that, that commitment, you know, that these people have shown... But it's towards that, that kind of vision, which I think when you were talking about visualizing success, it's, it's been able to see that moment, if you like, see themselves on the track or in the pool or whatever it is. But also it's been able to see the thing that it's about, see what it's for. Um, last Tuesday, um, Kate and I were in London. Uh, we went down for the triathlon. Uh, anybody not know what a triathlon is? Okay. It is it's one of those ridiculous things that human beings put themselves through where they do, I, th I think it's a kilometer, was it 15? Kilometer swim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they get out of the water um, without being able to towel down or anything. They then get on a bike and go for like 40 kilometers on a bike. And then they get off the bike and then they do another eight laps. 10K, is it, I think, they do? Um, the whole thing takes about, for these guys, takes them about two hours. Now, for any normal human being, it'd probably take us two weeks, but, you know, and that's if you're reasonably fit. But that's what a triathlon is. But uh, anyway, Kate and I were down in London for the triathlon. And I said to Kate earlier, could you just describe what it was like just being there, just being in that environment, being there in Hyde Park, being there in London. So, would you be able to do that, darling? We'd actually spent uh, a couple of days with Mags and her eldest daughter, Rachel, and her husband, uh, yelling at the telly. <laughs> Continue yelling at the telly. Um, so, we decided we'd go up to London and yell some more. So uh, we got on the train quite early on Tuesday morning, got, got up to Waterloo, and immediately it became apparent that um, what I'm going to talk about is something a little bit different. The detail, the incredible detail that had gone into the planning of these two weeks was evident in things like they've called them the games makers, you know, all the volunteers, folk you've seen in these purple kind of outfits 
And immediately we got off the train, uh, there were people directing you to whatever event you were going to. Most people were going to the triathlon that day because it was a freebie for one thing. So everybody was heading to Hyde Park. Now you can imagine thousands of people arriving in London for that one event and what chaos it could have been. But everything was so carefully organized that you were directed um, to particular sides of tunnels that you were walking through. We got to Hyde Park. You were directed to different areas of the park. And there was such a buzz. People were smiling, just smiling at one another. It was brilliant. People were chatting. Chris and Rach, Mags's daughter and the son-in-law, had a Yorkshire flag. Does anybody not know what the Yorkshire flag looks like? Okay. It's, it's got on it this, the emblem of Yorkshire, which is a white rose. So in the middle, there's a white rose, and the background is a lovely sky blue color. So it's really pretty, and it's very striking. And other benighted creatures who didn't know said, what's that flag? And we said, it's the Yorkshire flag, and we've got so many medals. And... So people were talking to one another, people were enjoying being together, and people were excited way before uh, the swimming started. We could see from, from a little bit uh, on a kind of a little rise in the park, we could just see the serpentine, which is where they were doing the swim, and you could see people splashing. <laughs> but obviously, folk had been there since very early that morning, so we were nowhere near the front. So we saw from a distance the, the swim. And then we decided what we would do is to go to an area of the park where they got huge screens, massive screens up, where you could watch the uh, cycling and the running on screen. And the, I can only say the atmosphere was electric. I can't imagine what it must have been like to have been in the stadium watching the runners or in the pool watching the, uh, the diving and so on. It was just electric, absolutely electric. And when it became apparent that um, Alistair Brownlee was going to take the gold, of course, you know, well, he's from Leeds, isn't he? You know, it's us. <laughs> And, and we were so, it was so exciting. And Johnny, I don't know if you saw it, but Johnny incurred a penalty, a 15-second penalty. For some reason, he'd got, he'd moved the front wheel of his bike sort of a split second early when they changed from coming out of the water, getting onto the bikes. He'd, there was a split second he'd, he'd gone off a bit too soon. So he got to the last lap of the, uh, the 10k run and he had to kind of stand in this little kind of box thing and watch this, watch the clock counting down 15 seconds. We were all counting with him and cheering him on and bless his heart, he was, uh, when he got to the end of that, he was exhausted and had to be taken to a resuscitation area for a while. He wasn't, wasn't in a good shape when he got to the end. But the just the atmosphere was, there was a sense of everyone being united in encouraging, that word encouragement, and in celebrating somebody else's success. It was absolutely magical. I, I would just like to say, a few weeks back on the Monday evening in our prayer time, we prayed about the Olympics. At the time, 
um, there was all a hoo-ha about people with, wasn't quite Exocet missiles, but they were putting something on the top of blocks of flats. I don't know if you remember that. Um, in case, you know, some kind of missile carrier came across. And the talk was so negative. Everything about this run-up to the Olympics was so negative. And we prayed and we said, Lord, the world is preparing for the worst case scenario. That's what they have to do. It's just what they have to do. But God, we want to declare into these games your best case scenario. And Lord God, and we prayed for uh, just meetings with people, not us particularly, but people who would come across other people who knew God. We prayed about all sorts of things, never even imagining that the goodness of God would be so immense that his blessing into our nation, if you listen to the way that people are talking about who we are as a nation, has it not turned a corner? We are so cup half empty, aren't we? We are so, as a nation, cynical and negative. And people are beginning to feel as though God has just taken them under the chin and raised their heads to say, you count. And I think it's a significant moment. This two weeks has produced in our nation a significant moment of... um, although people don't realize it, a sense, of, uh, a sense of goodness, a sense of possibility, a sense of hope, a sense of life can be different, which uh, is encapsulated for me in a comment that, and I think tonight he's going to speak, isn't he? What's the chairman of the IOC called? Jack Rogg. Um, he said the other day that the reception that foreign teams have had in the UK has been exceptional. He talked about people's kindness, people's helpfulness, people's willingness to go out of their way to make the athletic teams and so on uh, really comfortable. And I thought, God, kindness is one of your qualities. It's the kindness of God, the word says, that brings people to repentance. And I just think, thank you, thank you, thank you. Who knows what the Holy Spirit is about in our nation as a result of these last two weeks. So I have been basically jumping up and down and yelling at the telly (laughs) for the last fortnight because of God's goodness, really, and all the inspiration that we've all talked about. Thanks, darling. It was great fun being there. <laughs> it was good actually, just being in the uh, just in the streets afterwards. It, it was like carnival, wasn't it? Everywhere, it, the place was packed as well. But uh, so good, so good. Um, I think what Kate was saying there about God gives us a taste of something, and what I think what we want to do now is to press that home. You know, to carry on praying for our nation. To you know, God's given people a taste in the natural of what it can be like. You know, just to you know, for life actually to feel good, and God wants to do people good. So I believe that God is giving us an opportunity, which is very rare um, as a nation, just to be able to kind of press that through. Um, Jackie, can you put up for me that next slide, please? Thank you. Can you see that? You may. I don't know whether you recognise them, um, but uh, they've got their names on the 
um, on their shirts. Those, these three guys kind of teamed it during the triathlon. The one at the back in that photograph is Alistair Brownlee, who won the gold medal eventually. The one in the middle is his brother, Johnny, who Kate was just talking about, who got the bronze. Uh, but I want to talk about the guy in the front, whose name is Stuart Hayes. Uh, he came 37th in the overall race. But for me, he is a real champion, and I'll tell you why. Um, he had a part to play in getting those other two guys over the finish line. Uh, he, he came into the whole event in order to do one thing and one thing only, and that was during the cycle race, during the middle section of the triathlon, it was his job to set the pace in the cycling section, in effect, to put some real heat on the other competitors. It was his job to set that pace so the two guys who were with him, Alistair and Johnny, didn't have to be working so hard during that particular bit of the race. It was his job to protect them so he kept them out in front so that anything that was going on in that group that was riding together, um, they weren't exposed to that. And when he came to the end of the cycling section of the triathlon, that was his job done. Now, bless him, he, he went on and he completed the race, he did the 10k run, but what it meant was that the two other guys had got the energy and the staying power to do their bit, which was to press through and get the gold and get the bronze. But they wouldn't have been able to do it without him. Now, I, I mean, he's kind of unsung, isn't he, in this whole picture. But for me, he is a real champion. Um, and I just want to celebrate the guy, Stuart Hayes, his name is. He's not from Leeds, but we'll forgive him that. But um, he played a real part. And at the end of it all, he said that his motivation was to see his team actually win the gold. The fact that he didn't get it personally was immaterial. But he played his part in seeing his teammates get the gold. Now, what an attitude. Isn't that fantastic? Um, this morning we're talking about Bible champions. And it is full of people like that who have played their part in order that we get the gold. And I just want us to just look at a, a few scriptures in a minute that just help us to see a bit of what it is that God is doing and how these, these kind of guys... Uh, in effect, this is, what's, this is what it's like. We're standing on their shoulders. Um, Hebrews 11. Let's go and have a look at Hebrews 11. Actually, I'm just going to read a little selection out of this, so you, you may just want to follow me as I read it. But um, many of you will know this passage. It's full of um, what people call the, you know, the, the heroes of faith. Um, and it's, it's this catalogue of all these people 
some of whom we know a lot about and others we don't know so much about, but people who've gone before us. And it start, the whole chapter starts off like this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, remember we were talking a moment ago about the champions. They see success. They see it ahead of its time. Well, that's what these guys were being commended for. And they'd seen something of God and his purpose that kept them in that place of faith. And we read about some of them here. So verse 4, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. Um, This, this is a man, this is just, just, think about this now. This is a real bloke, um, but he's come into a world that's been tainted by sin. And yet, he has a revelation of God that changes his attitude towards what he brings in the offering. And more than that, some of you have ever thought about this, but he brought the first fruit of his flock. He brought the sacrificial animals. He was ahead of his time. He was seeing the Christ. He, was, he, he had this revelation of something which was yet to come, which God was going to do when the time was right. And then verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Um, this was a guy for whom the, the boundary between heaven and earth was so invisible that one day he just kept walking and he walked on into heaven. But that lifestyle was one that kept him in front of God as somebody who God could say, this man pleased me in the way that he lived. These, these are our champions, aren't they? These, are the guys, these, these guys are seeing something and it kept them in their life. Um, by faith, Noah, this is verse 7, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Um, we've already talked about it in relation to, um, you know, when we're breaking bread. Um, he was a guy who... God showed him something, and he thought, I need to do something about this. And it took him literally decades to apply himself to doing the most stupid thing in the world, which is build a boat in the middle of dry land, <coughs> where nobody had ever seen rain before. And it was something that he, he persevered at amidst all the mockery and everything else, but the result was he saved his family. And it was... Following that, God made covenant with him. Then we go on. Let's have a look at another one. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Um, 
He was standing on the ground that God had promised him. And yet, in his heart, he knew there was more. There was better to come. And so, he lived like a stranger in a place that was already good. That takes something, doesn't it? Eh? Because he was seeing something beyond the here and now. In verse 13, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So these people, these champions of faith, all of them saw something in life that spoilt them from the, for the here and now. It meant that they were prepared to give up stuff that wasn't going to take them in the journey they were set upon. It meant they avoided the distractions that would have taken them in a different direction. And, yeah, they died without having seen it. Let's go over the, to the end of the chapter. Verse 39. I won't read the bit before, but it goes on about all the other heroes, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And they did all kinds of stuff, motivated by this vision of something that was to come. And verse 39, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect now isn't that amazing I want, you, want to bring you back to Stuart Hayes <clears throat> he saw something and it was just just innocent. I, I don't want to diminish it, it was, but it was just a gold medal he saw it but he wasn't going to have a part in it but yet he did so he gave himself to that cause and these people who've gone before us, they saw something that we now see and they gave themselves for it. Now, I want you, I want you just to do a little bit of an imagination exercise. Close your eyes if you want. Have you, um, have you if you've watched any of the events that have gone on in that Olympic Stadium... Um, you'll be aware that I think it's something like 80,000 people in that arena. If you watched Mo Farah last night, you'll have heard it. There were 80,000 people, and I'm sure there were people from so many different countries doing this as well. But those people were absolutely shouting their lungs out for that guy to get across the finish line. Now then, I want you to imagine that you are on that track. And I want you to imagine that now is your time. I want you to imagine that these people that we've all just read about, 
they are in that arena and they are absolutely cheering their lungs out for you to cross that finish line. Now, just imagine you're in that race. The noise is deafening already. And you come to a point in that race where it feels like your legs have turned to lead. It feels like your tank is empty. It feels like everything about you is just burning up. And then it's as if that crowd level noise goes up another several decibels and something in you just takes flight. And your heart is so motivated as you come round that last bend and you see ahead of you the finish line. And the noise of the crowd is lifting you and carrying you to the point where, like Jess Ennis in that 800, she just had that extra bit of power to come back from fourth to overtake those in front of her just to cross that finish line first. And she said at the end there, I wanted to give the crowd something back. Bless her heart. Now just imagine that's your race. And just imagine this crowd of people around you is cheering you, cheering you to the rafters, cheering you to the finish. Now I'm I'm not having you on. Okay. Jackie, could you go to the, just the next slide, please? Let's just read this together. This is the next few verses. This is from the message. Next few verses there in Hebrews 12. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means <laughs> we better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. And just like them, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I just want to finish with this. Somebody said rightly early on, uh, where do we, we don't have to be a winner. We don't have to be the one necessarily who crosses that line first. But in God's book, every single one of us in this room is a champion. Every single one of us has got an eye that God's given us. The ability to see the Christ who now is seated ahead of us and he's prepared a place for you and me. And he's, he's saying, come on guys, 
Come on, everything, everything that it takes to reach that goal. Lay hold of it. Anything that's going to stop you, put it aside. And around about us, there is, like the Bible says, this great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us to the rafters for us to finish, to finish our race. And God says, every one of you is a champion. Isn't that great? I think this is an amazing story, isn't it, to be part of. And I don't know about you, but for me, the Olympics, for all that it's been, all the good that it's been, pales into insignificance alongside this. Can we pray? Father God, we've talked about passion, we've talked about belief, but no one has passion as great as you do. No one has belief like you do. And yet, Lord, that's what you've given to us. You're passionate about us. You believe in us. God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to this race at this time. And thank you, God, that we are not on our own, but we are surrounded by those people who are just speaking from our history. They're just speaking encouragement and blessing into our part of the race. God, we know that you know that there are going to be times when this gets tough. But God, I want to thank you that you said, you said to us, I've given you faith. It's your faith that will carry you. And I'll be cheering you. Thank you, God, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. And God, all we ask is that we finish our race. Father God, I want to thank you that we live at this time. I want to thank you, Lord, that we live at a pivot in history. And God, we so want to play our part. We so want to do what you've called us to do, to see what our part is in this race. Father God, we just come back to you this morning and say, we're in for this. God, anything else, any distraction, any temporal thing, we just want to put it aside and say, God, we want to finish the race for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, for his sake, Lord. Amen. Amen.